Texas College Basketball Podcast. This is Jonathan here with Sean. Another week in college basketball. We didn't do the two episodes uh, last week. Just not a whole lot going on within the sport. Uh, so we decided just do a one podcast. We'll go back to doing two podcasts per week uh, this upcoming week. Uh, so just plan ahead for that. But uh, just with Christmas and everything uh, going on, we only did one podcast. Uh, but of course, big news, of course, in the sport, unfortunately, Marcus Sasser is out for the season uh, due to a toe injury. Sean, how does this kind of like impact Houston this season? I mean, big time. Sasser isn't just the best player in that conference. He's not just Houston's best player. He's one of the best players in college basketball. This guy is an all-American level talent. He's an NBA level talent. And now his season's over. I mean, and Houston's been lucky in the past few years in, in the sense of they've been able to go having one great guard to having another great guard. You look at Rob Gray. They then went to Corey Davis and Armani Brooks kind of at the same time and that led into Quentin Grimes. And then Quentin Grimes led into Marcus Sasser, but now Sasser's done for the season. And that really hurts Houston's guard depth because right now their starting five is probably going to look something like uh, Jamal Shad at the one who's been very good. He's had a very good breakout season, nine points a game, six assists per game at the two. You're looking at Kyler Edwards and you're looking at Taze Moore at the three at the four, Josh Carlton and Fabian white at the five. That's a really good starting five. Like that's still the best starting five in the American conference, but they don't have that go-to score at this point that they don't have Sasser. They don't have a guy like Quentin Grimes, can Kyler Edwards be that guy? I think that's who you're hoping is that guy because it won't be more and it probably won't be Shed because he's such a good facilitator and playmaker, but maybe it could be Shed. At the end of the day, though, losing Sasser is a big-time blow, and I think if Kyler Edwards becomes a number one option, that would be very, very beneficial to Houston, but they'll still be a great defensive team, one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, and that will still make them a second-weekend contender, but I'm not sure if the national title aspirations are quite there without Sasser and without Tremont Mark, who's also out for the season. The guard depth is super limited. So I don't think this is a team we'll see in the final four, but I think they could be a sweet 16 team still. Yeah. I, I think the thing is they're going to, you know, I think the great thing about Kelvin Sampson, what he does is he has a team that is going to kick other teams butts on the offensive glass. Like they're going to get every single offensive rebound. They're going to attempt to get every single offensive rebound and they're going to score off a lot of those offensive rebounds, uh, whether it's, you know, Fabian White, Josh Carlton, uh, Reggie Chaney, who I guess kind of starts for them. Uh, they kind of have run, you know, Carlton coming off the bench, Reggie Chaney starting. Yeah, they have but, a ton of front court depth, which is yeah. something Kelvin Sampson's kind of always done. And, yeah. like, we named all those guys, and we even named their leading rebounder. That's Juwan Roberts. He's their leading yeah. rebounder with seven rebounds per game, and he only plays – he plays about 17 minutes a game, but that's like just about what they all play. Fabian White plays tw- uh, Fabian White plays 25. That's the most of all of them. And then Chaney plays 13. And then you have Roberts with 18 and Carlton with 18. So like the front court's probably their strength at this point. Yeah. But the, the thing is like, they're always going to be solid because even like when Marcus Sasser was having bad games, they still won a lot of games just because uh, they're, able to out-rebound teams. They're able to physically dominate on the interior and they're able to, you know, all their guards defend really well. 
all their bigs defend really well. You're not going to get any easy opportunities off this Houston team. So that's still going to be there for Houston. And even if the offense is struggle going to struggle, which I think it is going to look, you know, somewhat dreadful at times. And even, you know, with Marcus Sasser looked uh, bad at certain times on the court, uh, you know, it's the offense is not going to look great, but they're still going to win games just because they're going to rebound, just because they're going to crash the offensive glass, just because they're one of the, you know, top five, top three, maybe even the number one defense in the sport. The thing is, like, Final Four, I think we can almost throw that out the window. I'm not going to completely rule it out, but, you know, that's that's a big, you know, question mark now because Sasser is that type of score. He is that, you know, all American player. He is that player that, you know, you can see, okay, you need, you know, to get 70 points in a game. Well, Marcus Sasser can go out and get you 25. He's that type of player. And now uh, when you are playing that elite level competition, you know, the teams that can score on uh, really good defenses, you don't have the Marcus Sasser out there to kind of necessarily score. And I think they'll still, I would still pick them to win the American, which at this point isn't saying a whole lot uh, given where the American stands at this moment, but uh, definitely it is a big blow to any, you know, national championship uh, final four aspirations for the Houston Cougars and could be a blow to them winning the American as well. I still think they win the American, but Memphis, this opens a pretty good door for them to, can they live up to those preseason expectations? Obviously the start of the year did not go well, but they beat Alabama in their most recent game before a couple games got canceled because of COVID protocols. So we'll see what ends up happening there with Memphis. But I think this does leave the door open for a, a stolen bid opportunity in the American. I think that was always there and it's kind of always there because it's never like a five bid league really, but there, there's always some teams that are good enough to be like a two or a three seed in the NIT, but they're not good enough resume wise to be in the NCAA tournament. Kind of like Memphis last season is that where Cincinnati factors in, could they get hot at the right time and steal a bit? I think it's there. I think that potential is there, but beating Houston is going to be tough no matter what I would watch out for Cincinnati in which State to maybe steal a bid because Tyson Etienne, when he's going, he's one of the best scorers in the country, but Wichita State struggles when he isn't going. But Cincinnati is very well-rounded. They struggle offensively. They don't shoot the ball well. They do have enough shooters to where I think that could turn around, but Wes Miller is a fantastic coach, and he's already proven that he can win some big games at Cincinnati, winning against Illinois earlier in the season, but they also lost at home to Monmouth. So there's definitely been some growing pains for Wes Miller in year one. But I think that they could definitely contend in the American tournament. I don't think they're a tournament team, but I think they can contend in that conference tournament. But Houston, like I said, the depth isn't good. Ramon Walker only played three games so far this year. He could factor into a bigger role. But I'm curious to see what Houston looks like when they get back into action because they were supposed to play against Cincinnati on Tuesday. That game got canceled because of COVID protocols. So right now their next scheduled game is against Temple on January 2nd. I don't, I don't believe that one's been canceled. So we'll see what ends up happening there. One league where there might be a date stealer. It is the Atlantic 10 who now has one team that looks to be a pretty clear NCAA tournament. That is the Davidson Wildcats. They went into Birmingham uh, in a replacement game, they knocked off the Alabama Crimson Tide, 79-78. Javon Quarterly uh, kind of infamously missed a game-tying free throw, but 
a really good win for this Davidson program who now, you know, with this win, you know, early in the non-conference season was just kind of, you know, getting by, getting by and, you know, they were building a good enough resume, but they didn't really have that, you know, big win. They had a close game against San Francisco, went the other way, lost to New Mexico State, so weren't able to get, you know, the most opportunities uh, in their MTE. But now they have that big win. It is by beating Alabama 79-78, as mentioned. Now uh, the Davidson Wildcats looking like a team that come Atlantic 10 tournament time won't be needing to win the Atlantic 10 tournament to get a bid because uh, I think they're in the driver's seat to get an at-large bid at this point. Uh, At least they – I'm not completely there yet. I think it could happen, but I'm not like definitively thinking that they'll get one, but they're just so well coached with Bob McKillop. That offense runs so well. They're 22nd in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They have a 57.7 effective field goal percentage, which is good for seventh nationally. They shoot 42% from three and their trio of Hunjun Lee, who is definitely an NBA player, six foot seven, just knocks down threes. He is such a talented player, had a 50, 40, 90 season last year. Foster Lawyer shooting over 50% from deep. Mike Jones shooting over 50, 50% from deep. And then Luka Bradskovich, he's been there for a long time, but he was able to have a huge game against Alabama. And I think he could have another you know, big season down the stretch. This is a really good team, but they're not overly athletic, but they're so tough to stop on the offensive end, which makes them a dangerous team to play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, this is a team, I think, you know, with Davidson, they have, you know, the front court uh, with Bradjevich. You obviously have Hunjun Lee, who is elite shooter. Like he might be the best uh, shooter in college basketball. He's a 50 uh, 40, 90 player from last season. Like you look at, you know, players to just, you need someone to make a shot. He's your guy. He's going to knock down shots. And this Davidson team uh, now with this win, you know, they pick up their first, obviously quadrant one win with this win. The Atlantic 10, I think is going to provide them opportunities to kind of stack up wins, uh, stack up, you know, moving up in the net as, you know, teams are, losing games uh, throughout. I think Davidson's going to be winning games. And uh, at this point, I think they're the team to beat in the Atlantic 10. Uh, we, we've kind of like rotated that at first it was St. Bonaventure. They've obviously not gone off to a great start. Uh, Richmond has, they, they've not been bad, but they've lost uh, certainly some games. St. Louis has had their chances. Dayton has, you know, the biggest win of the Atlantic 10 season thus far, but uh, also has lost to UMass Lowell. Uh, but this Davidson team, I think, is really good. They're playing really well. Uh, and this is just a really nice win against the Alabama team that uh, should be one of the contenders for the SEC title. Uh, and that's going to loom large come NCAA tournament time. And another game last week that was big, Villanova. They It was a brief moment where – I feel like everybody, including myself, was like, all right, maybe this just isn't Villanova's season. Maybe it's just going to be a rough year for him. 
where they're a six or a seven seed and uh, they're not going to the sweet 16 or anything like that. But doubting Jay Wright just never works out as they came back in the second half. They made one three in the first half. They come out in the second half and drill every shot imaginable. They were awesome. Colin Gillespie had a big second half to beat Xavier. That was a much needed win for Villanova. And I still think they're a really good team. You know, it's tough because they haven't looked great all season. They've had some rough moments, but at the end of the day, I'm putting my trust in Jay Wright and his experienced roster to figure thing things out and I still think this is the best team in the Big East yeah I mean with this Villanova team the first half it was like watching this game it's like this is a going to be a coronation with uh, Xavier uh, they're going to get this big you know monumental road win uh, they drilled only you know Villanova made only one three I think Xavier made like six of their first nine or something like that from three uh and in the second half, Xavier did not make a single three. Uh, they, you know, I think I'm putting this loss kind of on Travis Steele because what Xavier did is they kept, you know, shooting long contested threes. They didn't really move the ball. In the first half, they were kind of moving the ball inside, whether it was to Zach Freeman, whether it was to Jack Nunji and getting uh, those players, you know, playing inside out. Second half, they were just kind of, you know, moving the ball along the perimeter, live dribbling. Uh, so I didn't like what I saw from Xavier in the second half. Uh, but Villanova, I think this was just kind of an example of Jay Wright kind of outcoaching Travis Steele to a great extent because it, Villanova in the second half, they kept moving the ball. They kept, you know, working side to side. They kept passing. And I think this is kind of an example of a team that is really – you know, well-disciplined. I don't think, you know, looking at the two teams on paper that Xavier was not the, you know, more talented team. I think Xavier was the more talented team. I think Villanova, you know, with the style that they play, with the, you know, passing that they do, the, you know, moving the ball around really well, uh, playing as a connected unit like they played in the second half of this game. I think that's what won this them this game. And that is why uh, we're looking here and, you know, what What could have been a major win for Xavier to kind of bolster themselves as, you know, one of the teams to beat in the Big East ends up being a Villanova win. And uh, that's kind of where I'm staying on this game. Virginia Tech also could have bolstered their NCAA tournament resume with a win in Cameron Indoor against Duke. And for a minute, it did look like that was possible. Virginia Tech led at the half. They led a few minutes into the second half, but from there on out, it was just Duke playing like one of the best teams in the country. Paolo Bancaro had a big game, and A.J. Griffin had 13 points, four for four shooting from two-point range, made a three. He looked very good in his time in that game, so let's see what his role looks like here on out. But definitely a big-time game from Duke in the second half. Virginia Tech definitely could have used this one, but I think the biggest factor for Virginia Tech is that they got two bench points. From their entire bench, they had 30 minutes played between three bench guys, two total points. When you're not getting any production from your bench and you're playing on the road against a team like Duke, that's going to be a tough game to win. Yeah, and, you know, from the Duke perspective, I really like what they did when they, in the second half, when they took Mark Williams and Theo John off the court and they said, we're going to play small with A.J. Griffin. And that's a lineup, you know, with A.J. Griffin starting to really emerge as a, you know, potential option as maybe a small ball four uh, with Banchero at the five. I really like that because you have, you're able to space the floor all, you know, the Duke players can theoretically shoot. 
they did they don't shoot a ton of threes, but they can knock down shots, and you have to kind of respect their space, and that opens you know the floor up for Ben Caro to drive, for AJ Griffin to drive, uh, Trevor Keels to drive, and when those players are able to you know get one on one on the court and just kind of go at their man and win one on one matchups, that's that's going to be really tough for a team like Virginia Tech or really any team in general to defend because their players are very skilled. You have Wendell Moore, you have Trevor Keels, you have Ben Caro, AJ Griffin, Jeremy Roach, like all five of those players can break down their man off the dribble, no matter, you know, kind of the matchup. And I think that was kind of big in the second half as Duke really emerged as the kind of better team in this game. Yeah, I mean, that was just an impressive second half by Duke. They looked rough early, but I think that's just uh, just an example of how good this team could be when they get things going. I'm definitely curious to see how much we do see that small ball lineup because Paulo Bancaro is definitely capable of playing the five. But I do like having that rim protection there with guys like Mark Williams and Theo John. So I would like to see them play a lot. I think in certain situations when you're searching for offense, that's a good way to go to get some points. But heading into the biggest MTE of the year, not the biggest one, but my favorite one, the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii over Christmas week. Uh, get The finals happen on Christmas, but there was no finals this year because Stanford versus Vanderbilt got canceled because of COVID issues in Stanford's program. Vanderbilt ends up winning the championship uh, out of a forfeit from Stanford there, even though technically on the record it's not a forfeit. The championship did indeed go to Vanderbilt. And how did Vanderbilt get there? Well, they beat BYU in the semifinals and that whole stretch late in that game was a bit bizarre I'll try to explain it as best as I saw it watching it live uh, on TV not in person but Alex Barcelo drives the basket he was definitely fouled I think uh, drives the basket kind of like an eight foot pull up floater fouled no foul call gets the ball back kind of throws it up there and misses and so there's a foul there that's one foul and then BYU tries to foul Vanderbilt at least three times, maybe four, to extend the game. It was a two-point game at this point, like four seconds left. And the refs just let it go. They did not call a foul on BYU, and the game was over because they didn't call a foul when BYU was trying to foul to extend the game and send Vanderbilt to the foul line. That was one of the most bizarre sequences I've seen in a game in a long time. Just the way that went, like, sure, that was definitely a foul on Barcelo's shot, but just like not calling a foul when there was blatant fouls there was just a bit strange to me. Yeah, I it was it was really a wild scene. And then the other thing too is once Barcelo missed, uh, Vanderbilt comes away with the ball and BYU's trying to foul them. It was like they they are fouling them. And it's like, are you going to call a foul here? Like it would that it was just a I think poor job of officiating just by them swallowing the whistles. Uh, you can't, you can't, you know, blame, you know, Vanderbilt did an incredible job coming down the stretch of this game just to win this game. Sky Pippen Jr. took over this game. Uh, he was making everything down the stretch. Uh, I want to say like he scored. I think it was eight straight points or something like that. Like he, he had a bunch of like drives just drove right past BYU players at the basket. Like it wasn't even contested. He just got past them and it was an easy bucket. Yeah. I want to say he scored like their last. Yeah, he scored every point for Vanderbilt in the last uh, nine minutes of the game. 
That's what superstars do, right? I mean, that's why Scottie Pippen Jr. is one of the best players in the SEC and a Vanderbilt. And I'm not saying I think they're an NCAA tournament team. If they're able to get to the NCAA tournament, Scottie Pippen Jr. is the reason why. And they have enough around him with Miles Studi. Uh, They have... Jordan Wright, Liam Robbins. We'll see if he comes back at some point. He hasn't played yet this this season. Rodney Chapman, the Dayton transfer, has come back. So they have some solid shooting around him. Once they get Liam Robbins back, that would also be huge. There's talent on this Vanderbilt team, but Scottie Pippen Jr. is just much must-watch television, and Jerry Stackhouse's Commodores come away with the Diamond Head Classic title game. But I want to touch on Darius McGee a little bit here. He had a Diamond Head Classic record, 82 points in the tournament. He was just fantastic. Every single game, Darius McGee was getting buckets. He doesn't need a ton of space to get off his shots. He can shoot it over you, even though he's only 5'9". He'll drive right past you. I mean, Stanford almost let them get right back in the game and win and win the game or send it to overtime because they're letting Darius McGee run uncontested to the basket every possession with like 25 seconds and less in the game. And he got like a quick eight points in that stretch. He's just such a dynamic player. Liberty looks like the team to beat in the Atlantic Sun again, but it won't be easy with teams like Florida Gulf Coast with Tavian Dunmartin and Kevin Samuel, Eastern Kentucky coming over with Kurt Lewis, Braxton Beverly. They have a lot of shooting. A.W. Hamilton has one of the fastest offenses uh, uh, tempo-wise in the country. Jacksonville State, they have a lot of talent on their team. Brandon Huffman, former UNC big man, is a big player for them. Jalen Gibbs coming over from Mount St. Mary's. He's another big-time player. And then Lipscomb, they're in, they're in the mix, too, with Asana Sajdala, who has missed pa- the past few games with injury, and Jacob Ognosevich coming over from Valparaiso. So there's a lot of talent in the Atlantic Sun this season. I like what I'm going to be able to see in that league once we get to conference play. It's going to be very competitive. But at the end of the day, Darius McGee is one of the best players in the country, and he's going to be the reason why they're the favorites to win the league. Absolutely. Uh, so we, we get to a situation where we have an SEC team uh, crown champions. We had an SEC team pull off one of the bigger upsets, uh, especially of the week. It was Tennessee. They took down Arizona 77-73. to 73. Uh, Big-time performance from John Fulkerson uh, late in this game to kind of take it over and uh, lift Tennessee to the game. Uh, now, Arizona got off to about as poor of a start as you could possibly imagine. Down 16-2 to two to start the game. That's You're not going to win many games when you start down 16-2. to two. Arizona did a good job making a game, but ultimately – uh, Fulkerson made the big plays. There was a very controversial uh, technical foul called on Kerr Creesa. I think he was clapping towards the towards one of his own players. At least that's. I mean, the- that just like that. That's the technical you just don't have to call. Like you can just let yeah, that yeah. go in that situation. Like there was less than four minutes left. Tennessee was at the foul line. It was a one point game, I believe, and that kind of let Tennessee pull away at the league because that's four free throws right there. Yeah. I mean, that that's just tough. That's not something that I would call in that situation. I get it from the rest perspective, but at the same time, it's just like you got to let that go in that spot. Yeah, and, you know, in the end, uh, the big play, though, was, you know, Fulkerson makes a, you know, turnaround jump shot. Uh, Fulkerson then, you know, get, get it's a two-point game. Uh, Fulkerson, you know, did a little spin move, got a layup, uh, and kind of put the game away. I was impressed by John Fulkerson. 
you're not going to get, you know, Fulkerson's not one of those players that he's going to take over every single game that he plays in. Uh, but there are certain times, certain matchups, and, you know, certain times being when Arizona has basically their entire team in foul trouble where he's going to take over games. And this was one of those games he took over late. Uh, it was impressive uh, performance by him. He had 24 points, 10 rebounds in this game. Uh, I thought, you know, Tennessee could have put this game away a little bit early. Uh, they didn't make their shots. Uh, certainly, I think, let Arizona hang around, but credit to John Fulkerson, uh, the, you know, very experienced big man to kind of put this game away and seal a major victory for Tennessee over uh, what was looking like a, you know, one of the premier teams in college basketball. I would still say one of the premier teams in college basketball, Arizona, uh, that Fulkerson's kind of able to put Tennessee to a win against one of the premier teams in college basketball. Yeah, that doesn't change my mind at all about Arizona. If anything, I came away pretty impressed by their resiliency in this game because Azulis Tubelis, who's been one of their best players, probably their second best behind Benedict Matherin, only played 14 minutes. He's in foul trouble the entire game. Like every time he got back on the floor, he picked up another foul relatively fast. So he was never able to get into the flow of the game. Just played with foul trouble the entire time. Christian Coloco, he also fouled out. He only played 19 minutes. Those two combined for 10 points and they combined for 10 fouls. Usually that's a recipe that you're going to lose if two of your three best players are in that much foul trouble. And when it came down to it, Kirk Creasa ends up fouling out. Benedict Mather ends up fouling out. Christian Coloco ends up fouling out. Tubelis didn't end up fouling out, surprisingly, because of how many fouls he had uh, throughout the game. But he only had four, but he was pretty much fouled out the entire game. So their entire starting five almost fouled out. Dale and Terry had four fouls. They just picked up a lot of fouls, 28 of them, turned the ball over 17 times made nine of 27 threes, missed six free throws. If you told me those stats without watching the game, I would have assumed they lost by 30. So the fact that they were able to make this as close as it was shows me how good this Arizona team is. Yeah, and it, I think the biggest takeaway is you have to take away is Benedict Matherin is a stud. He's looking like a top 10 player uh, in the sport. He's looking like a top 10 uh, potential NBA draft pick. Hit 28 in this game uh, was really the driving force of this uh, Arizona offense. I think the lone reason they were kind of even in this game, uh, he showed out, uh, you know, impressive performance from him. But ultimately, just, you know, too many things went wrong for them uh, throughout the rest of the game that they weren't able to win. But uh, Matherin certainly looks like one of the best players in the sport this season. Now getting into the weekly, early week picks part of the podcast, starting it out with Tuesday, UConn at Xavier. Adama Sinogo came back in UConn's most recent game. I forgot how many minutes he played. Let me pull that up real fast. But Tyrese Martin's back. Adama Sinogo's back. So they're they're healthy for the most part. I mean, they're as healthy as they'll get probably. I don't think they're missing anybody. So with Sinogo playing 12 minutes, scoring six points in the win at Marquette, that was a good first game back. Andre Jackson started. Tyrese Martin started. RJ Cole, Isaiah Whaley, and a cook. A cook started with Sinogo coming off the bench. They travel to Xavier to play a Xavier team that just lost to Villanova. Who's going to come away with a win here in this Big East matchup? Uh, I am going to go with UConn to get a big win out of the run. Hmm. And the reason why I kind of just trust Adama Sonogo. I trust this UConn team. They're going to play very tough defensively. 
I think that what they'll do is they'll kind of get the the ball inside to their big man. I think they'll let Adama Sanogo eat. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Huskies in this one. I'm going to go with Xavier there at home, and I think that's big. Nate Johnson, he made his first three threes against Villanova but missed his next six. So that was uh, hot, and then he got really cold really fast. But he's one of the best shooters in college basketball. I think Xavier can put the size a similar size up to what UConn can with Zach Fremantle and Jack Nungy. I wouldn't be surprised to see those two spend a lot of time on the floor together. Colby Jones is a really good Swiss Army Knife kind of player. He's kind of like a younger version of Tyrese Martin. So I think this will be a very interesting matchup, but I think the home court advantage is what leans me Xavier's way. But I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Speaking of home court advantage, we have Tennessee heading on the road to play Alabama. I'm going to take the team with the home court advantage. I'm taking Alabama uh, to win and, I guess, cover the two-point spread on at home uh, against Tennessee. Uh, coming off a very good win for Tennessee, I think this could be a potential letdown spot. And Alabama, I think, is due for one of these hot shooting nights, uh, especially losing to Davidson uh, this you know, past week losing to Memphis. I think they're, you know, going to come back. They're going to play with the next edge. And I'm going to go with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Here's the, here's the thing that those two teams and Iona to a certain extent did. They didn't let Alabama play fast. They want to go up and down the floor. That's Nate Oates style of basketball in his entire coaching career. And none of those teams let them do that. And it ended up working. I mean, they turned the ball over a lot against Memphis. Davidson was able to slow them down. Iona was able to slow them down and not allow them to shoot threes. Davidson, they shot 36 threes, but they didn't make a ton of them, only 33% of their three-pointers. I think that Alabama is going to come away with the win here just because I think they're just more talented. And Tennessee also likes to play relatively fast. So if you're trying to play a fast game against Alabama more times than not, you're going to lose that game. Absolutely. Uh, one team that I know you have certainly liked this season is the LSU Tar- Tigers with Tari Eason, who is looking like a potential uh, SEC player of the year. Hey, I talked about him on the podcast many, many a times over the offseason. I like Tari Eason quite a bit. It's been really cool seeing him become the player he's become. Yeah, uh, he certainly, you know, I think the thought on LSU coming into the year is they're not going to play a lick of defense, but they have Tari Eason who could play uh, some defense, but isn't going to give much offensively. Well, apparently Tari Eason is just, he transformed his offense in this LSU system. Uh, Will Wade is a genius offensive coach uh, transforming Tari Eason. Oh, and he's decided to make this LSU defense into one of the top defenses. The in best. The best, according the best, to Ken Bomb. The best Number defense one. in the sport, according to Kimball. That th- Number this one. Last year, they were 124th. 124. This year, one. The year before that, they were 179. That's like impossibly bad for an NCAA tournament level team. 59 the year before. That was pretty good for the Will Wade era LSU Tigers. But number one, and here's the thing. Once Adam Miller got hurt for the season towards ACL, this offense was never going to be very good. That's what it was. They just were not going to have a lot of offensive punch, and the defense had to be good. I thought if they were top 15 defensively, top 20, that they were going to be a solid team. I didn't think they would be the best defense in college basketball, but they have a ton of size and athleticism with Tari Eason, Darius Days, Mwani Wilkinson has done a very good job, and then Alex Fudge, who came in midway last year. I don't, He didn't play at all 
Uh, but he, he was one of those guys that reclassed midway through the year. Got to see Cam Thomas and all those guys go through the NCAA tournament, play Michigan. All those guys have done a great job. Efton Reed coming in as a five-star recruit. There's a ton of size and athleticism on this LSU team. They aren't a very good shooting team, but they don't shoot the ball a ton. This team wins games defensively, and they're playing an Auburn team who's very good defensively in their own right. Top 10 in the country in Ken Palm's rankings. Jabari Smith looks like a National Player of the Year candidate. He's probably been the best freshman in the country. I mean, Bancaro has been really good, but I think Smith has potentially been a little better. Walker Kessler's gotten it going recently. Wendell Green's been a great great player coming over from Eastern Kentucky. And here's where I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to go with Auburn because the guard play is just so much better on their end. Xavier Pinson, Brandon Murray, Eric Gaines, those are solid guards for LSU. But when you have KD Johnson, Wendell Green, and Zeb Jasper, who's a fantastic on-ball defender, you're going to win a lot of games. And I think Bruce Pearl has a team capable of going to the Final Four once again because this is a really, really good Auburn team. I'm also going to go Auburn. I, I you know, really like the you know this Jabari Smith, Tari Eason matchup. I think it's going to be very fascinating. But you know, Walker Kessler is really you know, I think taking uh, over some of these games lately for Auburn took over that uh, Murray State game. And, yeah, that Walker Kessler is really starting to shine. And then you obviously have uh, him alongside Jabari Smith, alongside Katie Johnson, alongside, you know, Wendell Green, who's starting to emerge. I think this Auburn team is playing really well, and this is going to be a tough road environment. Uh, I'm going to roll with the uh, Auburn Tigers here. Do you like the favorite Duke? Blue Devils to play at Clemson, a house of fours for this uh, Duke program. The line is surprisingly low, only four, according to uh, Ken Mom. I mean, Duke is just better, and that's what it comes down to here. They have more talent, and I think we're going to see that in this game. Clemson was hot to begin the year. They're shooting 41% from deep, still there on a four-game winning streak. They did beat Virginia on the road, but I think, again, that was more of Virginia just not being very good. I think Duke comes away with a pretty convincing road win. I'm going to go Duke as well, although I am I'm kind of concerned about this pick because this is like the the line should not be this low. Uh, at least I don't think like the I would think like if this was a normal line, it would be six or seven. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Duke. This Duke team just has more talent. Like if if they play that, you know, five out lineup with Ben Caro and AJ Griffin, like good luck stopping them and oh, by the way, they can, you know, not play that and still have Mark Williams just blocking every single shot imaginable at the rim. So uh, Duke seems like a smart pick. Uh, I don't know why the line is only four. I'm worried about this being a trap, but give me the Blue Devils anyway. Uh, We've got another ACC matchup, though. It is Virginia Tech going on the road to play against North Carolina. This could be a you know, potential quadrant one win for Virginia Tech if they're able to get one. We talked about earlier, they weren't able to get the win playing at Duke. This is another opportunity, not quite, you know, as big of a win as it would be winning at Duke, but this is a quadrant one win if they're able to get one. Do you like the Hokies to go into North Carolina and win this game? I don't expect North Carolina to magically be a good or even okay defensive team. They're still going to be a bad defensive team. But what it comes down to here is, again, the depth. Virginia Tech does not have a lot of depth, and uh, North Carolina is way deeper, and I think we're going to see that in this one. They're going to be able to hit shots from the perimeter. If they do do that, like I suspect they will, they'll come away with the win here against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm also going to 
uh, go with North Carolina. I think this is kind of a spot where you you see some of these big time programs, you know, the you know North Carolinas of the world, the Dukes of the world. They're in a you know tricky spot where they you know they're struggling. The season seems to be spurting out of control, and you have that you know big home court environment that you have. Uh, when it comes to North Carolina, that the fans are just kind of able to lift you up in certain situations to get a you know big time home win to get your season back on track. That's what I think is going to happen here. I think the fans are going to show up. I think they're going to show out and they're going to, you know, kind of egg this North Carolina team to get this type of uh, big win and get their season kind of back on track, get them, you know, may not at the, you know, preseason expectation of being, you know, one of the 20 best teams in the sport, but at least in a position where, you know, they're on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. So give me North Carolina to win at home. Going on the road here, Seton Hall heads to Rhode Island to face Providence, a game between two teams that are surefire NCAA tournament teams at this point. For me, I'm going to go with Seton Hall to win on the road. I think they're better than Providence. Uh, Nate Watson's very good, but I think Seton Hall will be able to match up with him. Uh, Obiagu's missed a few games here. I don't know if he'll be able to suit up in this one, but if he does, that's a great matchup against Nate Watson because they're both really physical players, both really big, both really strong, and I think Obiagu could stop him. But Tyree Samuel has NBA NBA attributes. He hasn't fully put it together, but he's having his best college season so far. So I think he could be an NBA draft pick in a year or so. There's a ton of athleticism on the Seton Hall team. They don't shoot the ball very well from three, only 29% from outside on the season. Bryce Aiken only 30%, but he can make some big shots as, as we've seen. Uh, Jameer Harris only shooting 31% from deep, but he's been a great shooter in his career at American. I think that Seton Hall is going to turn around the three-point shooting a little bit, and I think they'll come away with a road victory against Providence. I'm going to go with Providence. Uh Here's why I'm. I just think it, you know, one the Dunkin' Donuts Center is a one of the great home court advantages uh, in the sport. I think that's going to be rocking. And then two, you have Nate Watson, who I think is going to be able to go get his. Uh, he's going to have a good game inside, and AJ Reeves I think is going to have a you know kind of good production game. I think the X factor is which one of AJ Reeves uh, or Bryce Aiken can really step up. I'm going to go A.J. Reeves to step up. This line is uh, one, so it's essentially kind of a pick him. Uh, I'm going to go with the Friars to defend home court, uh, but this game, once again, should be a really tight, contested battle that could go you know, either way with this one. Uh, much like Arkansas heading on the road to play Mississippi State, big opportunity for Arkansas because they do not have really – Big opportunity state. for both teams, honestly. Yeah. Neither team but, really but... has a big win, but I think – Bigger game for Arkansas, mm. uh, theoretically. Well, just no, because. I think I think it's a bigger game for Mississippi State because if they lose this game, like how good is Arkansas? I don't think we know at this point. They haven't looked like an NCAA tournament team. They don't have any big wins. But if Mississippi State loses this game, this could be like a quadrant two loss when it comes down to it. And they already have three losses. I think this is a game that Mississippi State really has to have. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it both ways. I mean, I think Arkansas really needs this game. Uh, just to kind of, you know, you know, validate themselves as being a, you know, not only a clear-cut NCAA tournament team, but they're really, you know, not doing well in the net rankings. Uh, I want to say they're ranked 
let me pull it up. They're in the 90s, I believe, last time I saw them in the net. So, I mean, both these teams, though, really need this game uh, to kind of get their, you know, NCAA tournament resumes intact as we kind of begin league play here. And Arkansas is ranked 90th in the net. Mississippi State ranked 41th in the net. So, quad three loss if Mississippi State loses uh, could be a – you know, if Mississippi State wins, it would be, you know, if Arkansas is able to win, quad one win for them. Uh, but on the other side, it could be a quad three loss for Mississippi State. So both these teams really, I think, need this win. Uh, Mississippi State is the four-point favorite. I'm going to go Mississippi State to kind of defend home court. Uh, not buying what I've seen out of uh, Arkansas to start the season. So I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. As am I, this is a really talented Bulldog squad. Arkansas has really struggled recently, as we've seen, losing to Oklahoma and then losing to Hofstra. But Mississippi State, here's the biggest thing about them for me. Garrison Brooks was never a three-point shooter before this year. He's 12 for 28, 42% from three this season. He's been very good from the perimeter for Mississippi State. Tolu Smith, we're not sure if he's going to play in this one. He's missed some time this year. But I think Mississippi State is just the better team right now. I don't think either team is very good right now. But I think both definitely need a win. I think Mississippi State is the one that ends up pulling off the win. All right, next game. Between two potential double teams, it is Wake Forest. Hang on the road to play Louisville. Wake Forest is certainly impressed to start the season. I'm going to go with them to cover the spread at Louisville. I think they – you know, have the kind of experience. I think they kind of have, you know, a mental edge on teams. I think they'll keep this game close. I think in the end, I'll go with Wake Forest to win. And uh, I think in the process, they'll, of course, cover the five-point spread. I think Wake Forest wins. Here's here's the deal for me. Like, if you're not talking, like, preseason expectations, this game should be like an even line probably. Because Louisville just hasn't been very good. They can't make threes, only shooting 30% from outside. The guard play hasn't been that consistent. Noah Locke only shooting 31% from deep after a hot start. Jared West only shooting 28% from deep after a hot start. Mason Faulkner doesn't play a ton. I think he might end up needing to get some more minutes here because he is really good. But Wake Forest, I mean, Alondis Williams has been one of the best players in the country. 21 a game, six rebounds, five assists a game. He has been one of the best players in the country after being a role player at Oklahoma. I didn't see that coming, but he's been fantastic. Jake LaRavia coming back from injury. He missed a few games. He will be back for this one. Davian Williamson's a very solid scorer. I like this Wake Forest team. I mean, they've been very impressive. I don't know if they'll end up being this good all year, but right now they're an NCAA tournament level team, and I think they went on the road and solidify themselves as an NCAA tournament team. All right, we're both rolling with Wake. Here's an interesting matchup. We've got a Michigan team that has certainly struggled to start the season, uh, not the you know team living up to the preseason hype that was them being a, you know, I think they were – I want to say number four in the preseason polls. Uh, they were at least top 10 in the preseason polls. Have not lived up to that. This is an opportunity to get a quad one win on the road at a UCF team. And also for UCF, this is an opportunity to get, you know, what could potentially be a quadrant win, win one win at home. I'm rolling with UCF in this game. I really like what they're doing. I think they're going to match the athleticism I think with, you know, this kind of home court advantage, I think UCF is going to walk away with a really nice win against Michigan. 
that could really age pretty well. I question this UCF team quite a bit because Brandon Mayhan, who I thought would be their best player coming into the year, only averaging eight points per game, shooting 24% from deep. He's been a very good player for them throughout the years, but he's really struggled thus far this season. It comes down to Darren Green, Darius Perry, and Mayhan if they're able to win this game at home. But I think Michigan's just better, and they really need a victory. I think Michigan's going to come away with the win here. All right. So we we ended up the, with a few uh, differing picks. Uh, the, the updated records, uh, Sean is 51 and 45. I am 50 and 46. So one game uh, in between us, but – Opportunity for me to pass or for you to extend the lead, of course. I will uh, be extending the lead. I will be, yeah. All right. You heard it here first. Sean is extending the lead. Uh, any last thoughts, though, before we uh, sign off here? Hope everyone had a great holiday season. New Year's is still around the corner, so we're almost in 2022. It's pretty crazy that we're actually, like, 2022 just seems like, it seems like 2021 kind of just started, but we're getting to 2022. The 2022 NCAA tournament will be here in a couple months. Excited for that. Let's enjoy the last few months of the college hoop season. And uh, hopefully everyone had a good holidays. Yeah. Happy holidays. Uh, happy new year. As we roll into 2022, definitely excited for the NCAA tournament, but uh, of course we got to get into league play here, uh, which I, I'm really excited for it because the the NCAA tournament's great, but th- there's nothing like you know a Wednesday uh, evening game where uh, a Wednesday a Wednesday uh, you know IUPUI against. I'm trying to think of a, another bad Horizon League team that's just not coming to mind at the moment. Green uh, Bay against yeah, Youngstown yeah. State. Yeah, Youngstown Robert State. Morris. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 no, nothing, there's nothing like, like it. No, yeah, IUPUI. Yeah has uh, been very bad this season, to say the least. They are 355th in Ken Palm. I think that's doing them a bit of a favor. They've certainly been the worst team in the country. They have one Division One win, and every single one of their games this year has gone under the, the total spread. Like, the game total has been under every single game. Well, if they, you've bet the under... They've uh, scored you, more than six... They've scored more than six. They've, they've scored more than fifty nine points once, and that was against Spalding uh, on Tuesday, November twenty third. They scored sixty one points against Spalding. They have not scored more than fifty nine points against anybody else. So they scored sixty one points on a basketball. Yep. Nice. <laughs> yeah, they shoot twenty five percent from three. They turn the ball over twenty seven percent of the time. They might have like one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. And like, they, I've watched a lot of IUPY for some reason, and they just have not had a very good go of it so far. It's always like the, you always want to watch like the worst teams or like the best teams. You're- yeah, like shout out to Chicago State. Like, they really have not been that bad this year. Four and nine. It's not pretty, but it's not terrible. I mean, they haven't lost every game by 50. They That's beat good IUPUI. for Chicago State. Yeah, they beat IUPUI, they beat St. Thomas, they beat SIU Edwardsville, they beat Tennessee State. That's four wins right there. That's more. That's four more wins than they had last year. That is the same amount of wins they had two years ago, but three of those came against non-Division One teams. That's more wins than they had three years ago. That's more wins than they had four years ago, and they had six wins in 2017. So, like, this is a, a banner season for Chicago State. There we go. Yeah, Chicago State having a banner season. Um, yeah, it, 
no, nothing like regular season play. We'll get we'll get to uh, conference tournaments, of course. We'll get to the NCAA tournament, which is there, but nothing beats regular season league play. Uh, at least at least for now. Uh, we'll we'll get to the March Madness when it gets there. But thanks again for tuning in to the podcast uh, and make sure to leave a review. Uh, we'll be back next time, going back to the twice a week schedule uh, coming up. But until then. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in to the podcast.